and welcome to another edition of Turned Out a Punk. I'm your host, Damien Abraham, and once again, I'm bringing you a conversation with someone who grew up listening to punk, may or may not still be involved in punk, but had their life changed by the genre in a major way. And today on the show, I got a new buddy. I got a new pal, John Daly. That's right. You might know him from The Kroll Show. You might know him from Curb Your Enthusiasm. You might know him from all sorts of places, Human Giant, like one of the funniest people I know. And now I know him, know him, but like <laughs> I know of, and we will get to all of that in one second. But first, if you want to get in touch with me, you can head over to the email address, turnedoutapunkpodcast at gmail.com. That is answered by my brother and show producer and normally guest booker extraordinaire, Tristan Abraham. But this week we have to thank one Dave Martin, the King of Pittsburgh for uh, setting this thing up. So sh- shout outs to Dave. Hats off to Dave. Dave um, and Dave, and we'll be doing a, a footnotes uh, super show with Chris O'Toole and myself that will be going up on the feed later on this week. So you can all all join in the Dave Martin thank you celebration and 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 celebration of Pittsburgh. Can't wait for that. But also thank you, Tristan, for all the hard work you do for this show. Uh, you can also uh, find me on various forms of social media at Lefford Damien. Tristan also runs a Facebook page and a Instagram page that are both turned out a punk. So you can send him messages and we can communicate through that as well. The best way to support the show is by telling all your friends, letting everyone know that you know that you enjoy this podcast that we do over here. You can also support the, oh, I'm hitting stuff on my ceiling. You can also support the show by heading over to the Patreon. There's a Turn It A Punk Patreon page, um, patreon.com slash turn it a punk. See some of the stuff that we put up there. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you to all the people that support us over on that thing. Uh, also huge. Thank you to Vans for supporting this podcast over the years. Um, really appreciate it. Thank you. And, uh, well, that's it. That's it. I guess it's on to today's show today on the show. We got, we got a, a, a big guest, a, a special guest, but also a very different sort of episode for the show. John Daly is a hilarious comedian. You probably are familiar with him from the various things he's done from Kroll show, as I said, to curb your enthusiasm to like so much stuff, a big mouth, like so com- so much comedy stuff. He's hilarious, but he grew up in a household where he had two older brothers that were punk rockers. And you've heard from a lot of people that come on this show and talk about how that was kind of a gateway for them. But this time it's almost like that was a barricade for them getting into punk rock. And I'm not going to relitigate it all here. You'll hear it on the show in a second, but it makes for a very interesting conversation with a very, very funny guy. Uh, I don't know if there's too many notes to get to before today's show. Uh, One note I should say is uh, I got to apologize for my my microphone on this episode. Uh, I didn't have it hooked up properly. And as such, it's, it's not the dulcet tones that you're used to, uh, from this podcast. So I, I apologize and don't worry that is fixed now. Uh, that's it. There's, there's not too much to get to. This is a fun one. Sit back, relax and enjoy John Daly on turned out a punk. John, thank you so much for coming on the show. What's up, man? Huge fan. That is wild to me because I am an unbelievably big fan of yourself. And I've there's a lot of things and a lot of questions I've had for you over the years. And just to to think that I could have reached out at any time and gotten those answers. It's you know, but I'm glad we finally made it happen today. 
Well, one of the good things about having a podcast is it makes you do that. Yeah. And it's it's good. Yeah, it motivates it. Yeah. Well, making friends past the age of 35 is hard. So having a podcast yeah. forces you to force people to become your friend in a way. You know, it's kind of like yeah. a friendship maker. You have, to, you have to make friends by making people your intern. And then <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and I don't. You know, really, with a with a life in music, I'm never going to have an intern. So this is my internship into my friendship. This podcast, right? Look, I just hope I don't say anything that makes me uh, seem like a poser because I am a poser. I mean, essentially, but I hope I seem cool, dude. You already in our email exchanges have dropped some names and we've exchanged some stories that I think this is going to be anything but uh, a waste of anyone's time especially especially mine our emails are a whole episode <laughs> our emails back and forth exactly <laughs> but john i gotta start this off the way i start them all off which is how'd you get into punk do you remember the first time you ever came across the genre wow um well i grew up in pittsburgh and um like we said and so my brothers were punks um, like my, my brother, my oldest brother, Austin is, uh, was like, by the time he was 12, I think he had a, uh, Mohawk, you know, 12 inch Mohawk. He was in a band I, in Pittsburgh. What band? Um, I think they were called cryptic Alliance. Oh, what an amazing name. Yeah. Cryptic Alliance. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's pretty amazing. And they, they would play the electric banana. And at that point, I was terrified of punk because I was just like, what is happening to my brother? And then, and then I realized like he was doing something creative later, but I was just like, what is happening? He looks evil. <laughs> and, then, and then my other brother got into, I think my oldest brother got Matt, my middle brother, into stuff i don't know like the first punk i heard like that i liked was probably the circle jerks but i also thought that their name was terrifying i didn't even know what it meant yeah but, like i found out what it meant probably like 10 years later <laughs> i was like oh wow <laughs> it's even worse than i thought yeah yeah so i was like from an early age kind of like listening to my brother's get into punk and stuff. And like, you know, I went to this Christian camp in Pennsylvania when I was like really little, my brother and Matt went with me. Uh, and like, it was a really fun camp by the way, but, um, uh, my brother would, um, wear like misfits shirts, you know, with the skull and, uh, and like the counselors would take him aside and like talk to him and he'd be like, I don't believe he one one time a counselor came. It was like, "Hey man, <laughs> hey man," to my brother Matt. He goes, "Hey man, uh, I just noticed like you haven't been coming at Bible study." And Matt goes, "Yeah man, I don't believe in God." <laughs> 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 and he was, you know, eleven or twelve, something like that. Like he was pretty. <laughs> So they were like, yeah, they were both hardcore into it. And my brother and they both, my brother Austin played bass and Matt played uh, guitar. And so, yeah, they just got into it. And as for me, like I, I was like more on the like Billy Joel, (laughs) (laughs) Buffett, I guess side. Like I like, yeah, I, 
I was like listening. I try to. I, I I really like classic rock. That's essentially like classic rock radio, Led Zeppelin and and Black Sabbath and and my first. I would say Metallica actually was like probably my first favorite band. Um, I remember the Circle Jerks. Yeah, were the first and and then I think on MTV was, uh, Oh my God, I'm blanking on everything. Oh my God. Cut this out. Cut this out. Um, <laughs> well, you know, I was just going to say you would have been so young, right? Cause if your brother's 11, how old would you have been? Like how old, were, how old were you when Austin kind of came home into punk rock? Do you think? I think seven. Oh yeah. So or, that would have been terrifying. It yeah. Been six so or seven. Yeah. So, Oh yeah. It was terrifying. And also, it was cool, you know, and it was like, oh, wow, that's cool. That's what music is. And Matt was also into hip hop. He was into like, he was super into breakdancing very early on, which kind of gave way to him being into like indie rock and punk rock, I guess. And him being into like, it, he started being into bands from Pittsburgh a little bit and but I didn't, I didn't really know that he, he started playing music with, with Matt Jensik in, I think like seventh grade and, or, or eighth grade. And then in high school, they formed the band Hurl. And, and then my other brother was in a band called hard on gang in Pittsburgh. Amazing names. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, um, and the, I remember them like practicing my basement. I remember Hurl's first show was at, at a uh, like birthday party for Matt. They played like four songs from there. And they, they had like, they were making seven inches by the time I was, uh, you know, in, in middle school. But yeah, the first bands, why am I blanking on this band's name? It's like one of my first things that I was like, this is amazing. Was it Suicidal Tendencies maybe? No, it was Philly band. They're funny, punk rock girl. Oh, dead, dead, dead milkman. Yeah, dead milkman. Sorry, no, no <laughs> problem. I, I definitely I just. I can't. I'm having a, a hard morning, but um, <laughs> I uh, yeah, I just love punk rock girl. And then I bought um, Beelzebubba and mm -hmm. that song Stewart. Like they were fucking really hilarious to me. Mm -hmm. And my brothers were kind of like more into. They were into evil shit. They weren't even into milkmen. And I remember distinctly coming downstairs one night and my brothers and like their friends were watching um, Sam Hain. I think it was like Danzig videos or Sam Hain, but I don't know. It was like, it was, it was Danzig, but it was like, like the song, like she rides, she rides. And those videos where it's like crucified naked women and stuff and like dripping with blood. I remember those being like, Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, no. Everything's evil. What, what did your parents make of all this? Because like, you know, they're sending you to a Christian camp, but they seem like they would have been pretty cool to allow this stuff to kind of go on. Yeah. They didn't have any other choice. It seemed <laughs> like they were just kind of like, I think, you know, it was creative. And so, it was definitely, you know, like a more, a, uh, a more like better than doing nothing, I think is what their whole thing was like skateboarding for them. 
I tried to skateboard. Like I, here's me. Like I was kind of trying to do all these things that they were doing. I was like skateboarding, but you know what? I never got the hang of skateboarding. And then I kind of became a jock in a way. Like I was playing hockey and I, I became like more of a jock and then kind of got more into indie rock from just being on the, uh, on the scene with my brother, which was like a very transformative thing. Like seeing my brother, Matt, like in hurl, it was like super, like I was basically like carpet bagging his parties and stuff like that coming, coming out and getting drunk when I was like, you know, 15 or 16 with all the guys from, you know, Don Caballero and all these kind of, uh, all these Pittsburgh bands met like started hanging out with Noah Legger, the drummer from uh, Purple and Taking Figures, who's an amazing dude and um a hilarious guy and a brilliant drummer and like uh you know yeah the guys from all those Pittsburgh bands. So I was kind of just like like making a fool out of myself and I say that completely literally because like I <laughs> the first time I ever got too drunk I like what was at one of these parties and I uh, vomited and I walked into a room of people and I went, Hey everybody. And then I passed out <laughs> on my feet. It broke, like broke their furniture and broke a lamp and then woke up in a bathtub and all these like, you know, 22 year old cool people were like, John, what is your deal? <laughs> it's like so humiliating. It's like, you got to calm down, man. You can't just drink until you vomit. Um, but, but yeah, that was kind of my thing. And I got really into Fugazi. I loved, really Metallica was my first, I just love Metallica so much. It was just, I really connected with those guys. <laughs> um, Rush, also Rush. I got into Rush really like when I was like 10 or something like that. My brother played me 2112 and I was like, oh my God. And I bought all like Rush tapes for a while and but I was like into comedy. I was just kind of like I was like a weird like I was like I my first tape that I bought was unfortunately <laughs> Bill Cosby. Like I bought Bill Cosby tapes before anything. You know, I bought yeah Bill Cosby. I loved Monty Python and Steve Martin when I was really young and all this stuff and music. I was yeah. If I <laughs> like I liked they might be giants. I thought they were really funny. And, um, like I was more into like comedy stuff, but I didn't even know. Yeah. I, I guess in high school I was like, I guess I should get into cool music. And I started getting into, yeah, just the music my brothers were into basically. Um, but then like I started getting more into like the Pixies and Polvo dub narcotic and, um, um, I don't know, uh, and then Pittsburgh bands becoming like Don Caballero who have just like, they're just amazing. I mean, they're, they were like the, the scene there. They were really fucking just the best. Um, I find it so fascinating because like you, maybe you just didn't feel the impetus to get into cool quote unquote cool music because you had been exposed to it and it had been around you like your whole life at this point. So like yeah. for, for you, it's just like, regular music i would imagine for for someone like me like when you finally hear this stuff and discover it it's like a, a revelatory kind of moment but for you it's just like ah oh, shit this is the shit that they played around the house it kind of is yeah yeah definitely um and before that yeah like a lot of um 
you know, white lines era kind of radio, <laughs> like early hip hop, like early, like, um, we were super into break in and break into super into break dancing. And then like skateboarding, the search for animal chin was huge. And I was like super into skateboarding, but just couldn't get the coordination right. You know? And I'm like, I'm like generally athletic, I guess, but I just could not fucking skateboard. And, uh, so I, yeah, I started playing hockey and stuff and like, I was definitely like, the Pittsburgh band, the biggest Pittsburgh band, right, is Rusted Root. So I definitely knew that I was like, fuck Rusted Root, man. I'm into cool music and I wear cool clothes that are ripped and, you know, kind of like, but I was like a wannabe, you know? Um, I, uh, yeah, so, you know, I was just a dork. I was like trying to figure it out, basically. I'm babbling. <laughs> no, I, but I don't think you were a dork. You know, like from my perspective, it's like, it's just like this is just your the thing you're around. It's almost like you had to rebel against the stuff your brothers were into just to be like, you know, like how much deeper can you go when your brother's, you know, telling uh, a, a Christian camp counselor at 11 that he doesn't believe in God. Like you had to find another way to rebel. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I always thought that was so badass. So badass. Wow, man. My brother is a singular person. Holy shit. <laughs> that is cool. And I know, I know Rush is like a huge, you know, band, like you mentioned being in a Rush, obviously, but like, this is something I want to talk to you about later, but how much exposure did you have to Canadian media? And were you into like SCTV at that point? Or had you seen SCTV? I guess it was on American TV too. My exposure to Canadian media was Degrassi. That, I was obsessed with that. And when I started playing hockey in middle school, I got onto this travel team and we would go to Canada and I would stay with like a billet program thing yeah. stay with a family. And then he would come down and stay with my family. And I stayed with this kid, Connor. And I remember his dad was Irish with a thick brogue and he had this like intense Canadian accent. And I was just like, Oh my God, I, I became a fucking obsessed with Canada. <laughs> I was just like, you know, like, and like, so I did consider, and I remember we watched hockey night in Canada all together and like the neighbors came over to watch it and i was like well hockey is this unbelievable like institution here it's so cool and they would like dismantle us because they were all like insane hockey prodigies but i was like super obsessed with canada anyway um and uh i loved degrassi and then i wouldn't know yeah i mean kids in the hall was i didn't get into uh actually sctv until like after college for whatever reason i just never checked it out i kind of was like i don't know about this and then i checked it out and was like oh this is deep this is like the best <laughs> yeah. once again i think it's like one of those things like you growing up with like you know um don caballero cds and tapes around and records around like i kind of grew up with sctv but like you know didn't really appreciate the genius of it it was just like tv to me but yeah till much later where i like go back now and watch it and like oh wow this is incredible yeah Definitely. It's the best. Going back to your uh, brothers in, and in Pittsburgh, how much intersection did the scenes have that they were part of? Because, you know, obviously Pittsburgh's got just so many incredible different kind of pockets of, of punk or just like different offshoots of punk rock represented. No, their bands don't play together, uh, didn't play together. But I think, yeah, Matt was younger. So it was just kind of like another generation um, and basically all of them kind of moved to Squirrel Hill and just like 
had this whole scene and lived in this punk house, which is kind of like still a punk house in uh, Squirrel Hill. And I used to like be obsessed with coming there. And yeah. Um, so yeah, I don't think they're, I don't think their scenes like totally intersected. Like Austin seemed like more of a electric banana and Matt was playing like the beehive, like coffee shop. And he was playing like, um, God, like the upstage loud. I remember he opened for the band live. One of his first shows. <laughs> like the band live, man. Oh, man. Um, were they were they like was it after that uh what's the placenta falls to the floor <laughs> yeah. the angel opens her <laughs> what a line what a what line dorks <laughs> fuck you live <laughs> did they but were they already popular by that point or were they like no they the were like up? coming up so they weren't they they weren't like a power like you know power band like they were so huge but they were coming up, and I remember my brother being – I couldn't go to the show. I think I was underage. Yeah. And I remember my brother being like, they were fucking dicks. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, oh, shit, that popular – oh, they were dicks, man. Fuck those. Fuck those guys. Yeah, fuck life. <laughs> and, and then the other big thing was my brother. He just – and Matt Jensik just posted a, uh, a article about this. My brother, uh, Hurl, played Lollapalooza. I think it was um, – 1994 or something like that they played so I, it was just like they had all this like weird success where i was like now you're playing Lollapalooza, like the second stage Lollapalooza, and i was like wow this is like totally amazing my brother's in a good band and um and so they played Lollapalooza, and i remember my brother just being like yeah we're playing Lollapalooza." i was like <laughs> I was like, whoa, like, what's the deal he's going to let? He was like, yeah, we don't know. I think at one point he was like, yeah, man, uh, we're playing outdoors, you know, so the sound's going to suck. And I remember, and I remember, like, which he probably didn't even know or whatever, like, at that point. But I remember, like, being to my friends, I was like, my brother said the sound's going to suck, so just keep that in mind. <laughs> I was like, yeah, so unfortunately it'd be bad sound, but we can enjoy the show. <laughs> um, yeah, but it gave me cred. It gave me cred. Oh, that's huge. Lollapalooza was like, that was like the cultural event of the summer. Yeah, I'm going to go check out my brother. Yeah. yeah. Cool. And I saw, I saw, um, what, the Red Hot Chili Peppers, I think. And for the first time, who I was obsessed with at that point, that was a high, that was a crazy music. And ministry, oh my God. And that was another feeling of like I had gotten into punk rock and into indie rock and like weird math rock and stuff, but ministry seemed evil. And <laughs> like <laughs> somehow they played it like I think it was still waning light, like it was still light out. And Al Jorgensen just had skulls. His his microphone stand was just skull a drapery of like human skulls. And I was just like, oh my god, this band. And then they came out with that fucking album, 69 uh, Psalm 69. Um yeah, so that was that that show and yeah and they played yeah they played Lollapalooza it was amazing um yeah so did you ever try you know you mentioned trying your hand at breakdancing and skateboard did you ever try your hand at bands did you ever do music no man I was in band (laughs) (laughs) I was in band class um I played saxophone I stopped I started in um uh fourth grade and 
you know, eight years old, I guess, and played like sax and we played, you know, just like Phantom of the Opera, like the Christmas show and all that stuff. And this was in band, had this band teacher who was a total prick, like a, like a, like now they call him like a gaslighting abuser. You know, he was kind of like this like fucking weird dude who later I found out was, was a fire from the school. And he would, he would like weirdly be like, you guys, it's just not going well this year. It's not going well. You guys want to see a good band? You, you check out the eighth grade band. They're cooking. The eighth grade band's cooking. But you guys, I don't know what to tell you. I mean, it's just not going well. <laughs> say stuff like that. And he made this girl cry. It was like a very abusive en- environment that I think we were all just kind of like, this is what music is about. <laughs> and, uh, and so that was until eighth grade. And then I was in band in high school for a bit, and then I quit and started to inquire. I wanted to sing, and so I started singing, but I always kept my sax and kept playing it solo and kind of I would get like in college, I would get into solo rehearsal rooms, tiny rooms, and just improvise and so I kind of learned a bit about improvising on saxophone and kind of soloing or whatever, and so that has kind of led to me making music the music that I'm making now, which is very sax based. Um, but, uh, the, yeah, I forget what the question is. No, I just wondered if you tried band doing a band back then. You never thought about joining a ska band back then. Be like, Oh, no, because I was like over ska. That's the thing. Like, I think my like indie rock, there was a certain kind of purity back then about, at least, I don't know, there was something about, like, synthesizers that was, like, not a lot. It had to be, like, very straightforward recording and, like, guitar-based drums. And, like, the, the, the singer had to be playing an instrument or else he was, like, he's just, like, a showboat, man. You know, <laughs> like, just, like, he's just a preening, like, fucking narcissist, dude. Like, that's not what music is about. We are all unions. We're small collectives, you know, like, like, and, like, production is like purposely bad and stuff. Do you remember this? I don't know. Like, oh, definitely. Oh yeah. yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. Like, like the Sebado kind of era, like, like where, lo-fi, like yeah. it was just like, throw it up. It sounds all jangly. Great. Yeah. Put it yeah. out. And so there was kind of like, I think that kind of kept me from like enjoying things. Like I didn't get into Prince until I was like in college. I didn't get into like a lot of good music, but I also got into a lot of good music, like stereo lab and, I don't know. Like, I guess that came later a little bit, but, but yeah, I think there was like some kind of ethos in in Pittsburgh with like being like, there was a style to it. It's interesting. I wonder if you could like link up the kind of thematic, um, you know, just like the, the thematic personality of the music of Pittsburgh of like the last 30 years, it would be really weird and interesting because now it's like Wiz Khalifa and Mac Miller came out of Pittsburgh. So now there's a hip hop scene there. The town is just like changing so much. It's crazy. Well, anyway. see, even if you were trying to just look at, just to look at like the stuff that came out of punk rock or that falls into that sort of punk rock indie kind of world, you've got like anti-flag that became huge for kind of more pop punk world. You've got Don Caballero, which begets battles. You've got Girl Talk. You've got Brain Handle. You've got like all these yeah. bands that are, are important to like their own little scenes. But yeah, like, you know, I don't know, once again, coming from Toronto, like being outside, but in first place, when you think of cultural hubs, you don't think about Pittsburgh, but it's like, oh yeah, Warhol's from there. Oh yeah, like Wiz Khalifa's from there. Like it is such a mecca for just culture. 
Yeah, Warhol's from there, but he got he got the fuck out. <laughs> yeah, well, Neil Young got the fuck out of Canada, and we still claim him. So that's funny. Yeah, <laughs> um, but yeah, he's uh, yeah he got he got out, but he I think he didn't speak well of Pittsburgh, but. He was like, yeah, it's a fucking shithole. Uh, he's Andy Warhol, you know? He's like, yeah, he's the worst. <laughs> he's, not a, he's not a fun hang. <laughs> he wouldn't have been a good hang. Hey, man, let's hang out with Andy Warhol and have a good time. <laughs> yeah, no, I think I think everywhere he would have been, he probably would have thought it sucked and it was a shithole, you know? Except yeah. he loved pro wrestling, right? Like, he was at WrestleMania 1 and was at all these different wrestling events, so clearly he found some joy in that. That's good. I'm glad he could find some joy in all the madness. I think he went, he was on a WWF like promo for somebody like early on, I think. Yeah, he's on the MTV Rock and Wrestling special, but apparently he would go to Madison Square Gardens for just like, just to go to the wrestling shows. Yeah, it was probably a weird sex thing. <laughs> probably a weird sex like, thing. Yeah, I mean, you know, who knows? <laughs> but hey, yeah, wrestling's great though. It's. Fantastic. Shout out to all the wrestlers. Oh, don't get me started. John, you don't want to get me started on this topic. This will be, I'll punish the shit out of you about wrestling. That's my, that's You're my, into it? Oh, I made a TV show about it. Ten episodes looking at wrestling all over the world. And Oh, cool. Wow. Oh, you got to see wrestling in the Congo where they use magic in the ring. Yeah. Oh, wow. It is, cool. it is something else. But anyway, as I said, this is my, my no-go area. But just back to Pittsburgh as, as a place, it just put out. I'm not against wrestling, by the way. I want to make that clear. I like it. I'm no, I know. Not, I figured, yeah. but I'm, but anyone that listens to this podcast knows that once I start talking about wrestling, I don't shut up. So I should. Definitely. Yeah, no, I don't want to offend the fans. <laughs> no, I don't want to offend or you. you or you. No, believe me, you're not offending me by talking about all this stuff. This is amazing. This is like, yeah, this is to me like such a, a, a ideal, fascinating kind of conversation about music and culture, and then. There's also this whole other piece where you're like career is also kind of happening in the background. Like when did you get into comedy and I guess performing? Um, I got into performing in um, actually the first time I performed, I guess I was in elementary schools in Alice in Wonderland. And then what, what, did, what did you play? A card. Oh, wow. <laughs> But I had a line and I got laughs. Oh, that's good. That's so I was like, "Fuck, this is cool." And then, <laughs> and then I, we did. It was interesting. We did this play in seventh grade, and I got terrible grades. Like I was bad at school, and I, and so I was in like the dumb kids, and then there were the advanced kids. I forget what the program. It was goal G O A L. It stood for something. And that was like the kids who got good grades and they went on a field trip. They went like on a field trip every day, every Monday for like a month. And so during that time we put on a play basically and which is probably a more educational, productive thing to do. All the dummies got to put on a play and I was made the star of the play and I was, it was a game show. It was a play that was a game show. It was so terrible. <laughs> But like everybody was in it and I remember being like, wow, I think I'm good at this. And then and then I started in high school doing the school plays, basically, the musicals and stuff. And then I was kind of looking. I was like, I'm into this. I was looking for performance opportunities or whatever in Pittsburgh. And then I started going to this thing called Friday Night Improvs in uh, the University of Pittsburgh. And it was these guys uh, – Ben Mayer, Lou Stein, that um, st 
started this kind of like underground um, improv thing where it was audience participatory. It was just like improv dorks from uh, from the University of Pittsburgh, Carnegie Mellon, and it was audience participatory. So you could just tag, you could like raise your hand and go do a scene. And so I discovered I was kind of like good at improv, like, and so I just kept doing it and became friends with these guys and then kind of started doing like little acting jobs around town. Like I was in the Pennsylvania Renaissance fair. <laughs> I played the, <laughs> the prince in the Pennsylvania Renaissance fair. And then like I was in a video game. I like an early, early, like early motion capture for a weird, like flight simulator video game. Um, and that was for some reason filmed in Pittsburgh. Have you ever played the game? Have you ever found that game? No, you know what? I never found the game and I couldn't even name it. I don't know what it was called, but I remember like being like, these people are from New York. They are handsome and they are pretty. (laughs) Uh, People do not look like this in Pittsburgh. (laughs) These people are very attractive. Um, but, uh, yeah. So, so yeah, so I start, I started doing that. I never did. I didn't do stand up until I moved to New York. And then I went to drama school at the North Carolina School of the Arts, then moved to Pittsburgh, I moved to, sorry, New York, and then started doing improv and like performance and sketch comedy and stuff and writing stuff. Um, but, but yeah, so it was like, yeah, this Friday Night Improv thing really kicked it off. Yeah, and they started this whole movement in Pittsburgh. And now like, similarly to like, every scene is kind of growing, like the comedy scene is really growing and there's this theater called the arcade theater that is like kind of their UCB in Pittsburgh and it's impressive. It's cool. And I guess what were your comedy influences? You know, you mentioned obviously the, he who shall not be named or he sh- who shall not be named and, and Steve right. and stuff, but like, you know, going forward from that, like what kind of stuff did you get into when you started getting into improv comedy or was it just sort of the people around you that you're taking influence from or improv inspiration from, I guess? Um, well, really Eddie Murphy is just it. Eddie Murphy was just the guy. He was just everything he did. I heard all of his early stuff. It blew my fucking mind. And me and my brothers would just endlessly listen to it. So really Eddie Murphy. But then like um, right when I was about eight or nine, they started playing this show called The Young Ones. You know The Young Ones? Love that show. Absolutely. That show. Yeah. So they were playing that. They were playing that at like 10 p.m. And I would like stay up to watch the young ones with my brothers, like when I was supposed to be in bed and that show in every way, like changed, changed, really changed my life. I would say that show changed my life. Like, cause it opened this whole, like just the references, the endless references they would do to pop culture and English things and English words. And in every way it was like ultra stimulating, <laughs> but also the comedy was like aggressively surreal. And so um, and the characters were over the top and all lived together. And it was just like so appealing to me. It also felt like everyone who made it were these punks. And um, so that really blew my mind and was a big influence. And that act, that show actually got me into Monty Python um, because Monty Python wasn't really available to, to watch. But then I rented – I started renting movies. Like I would just rent um, – you know, I guess after – and then I was really into SNL, uh, like Chris Farley, Phil Hartman, Adam Sandler, like David Spade, that SNL was like highly influential to me. That's really, um, that's, 
the good stuff. And then, um, what else? Yeah. The, the young one stuff, it's amazing. Like, yeah, the, the madness were on it and like motorheads on it. And like, you do have like that real, I don't know, like that's the whole gist of this podcast, I guess, is that you do see this through line through just not everything that's cool, but a lot of shit that's cool where it just somehow trickles back to punk rock in a weird way. And yourself included in that, obviously. Yeah, totally. You know what I saw also when I was very young, a documentary called another state of mind. Oh, amazing movie. Yeah. So another state of mind was a big, like, Whoa, this is like, it was a touring with, uh, Social distortion, right? Yep, social distortion, youth brigade, and uh, minor threats in it too, in one part, and right. you know, a couple other bands make little cameos and stuff. But it's mainly youth right. brigade and social D. Right, right. That was it. Yeah, that that really was like holy shit. That really <laughs> blew my mind and was like, whoa, bands go on tour. And um, yeah, I forget what we were talking about. Well, we're just talking about, I guess, the young ones and, and just kind of like punk rock right. and, and these punk rock documentaries. I, do you ever were you in a bottom at all? The follow um, up to young ones? only like I think after college I saw some of it, but I no, not really. I didn't get into it. You got to check out that movie Guesthouse Paradiso. That's like okay. the, it was like the bottom movie that uh, I think was a disastrous uh, flop in England when it came out, but it is. It is. T- it takes that kind of young ones, uh, you know, that style of humor to the ultimate <laughs> two-hour uh, filmatic, cinematic extreme. So yeah, right. Uh, strongly recommend. Right after, right after drive, Drop Dead Friend. <laughs> right after, right after Drop Dead Friend. I think that was just like, I got to go back to England. I, I'm not. My comedy's not going to do well. Actually, Drop Dead Friend did well, probably as a movie, right? Did it? I don't know. Somebody look up the box off. Look, look up uh, Drop Dead Fred Global Box. Office. Let's look it up. Let's put it in there. I'll have a graph pop up in the podcast at this point showing. <laughs> Were, yeah. was, was the young ones being shown on TV in America or is that like – because you would get Canadian TV it was. signals in the States, right? Canadian what? Sorry. Would you get Canadian broadcast in Pittsburgh? No. Just PBS would play Degrassi. Okay. So that was – that was kind of it. And that's where like my idea of like Canadian accents first started and how amazing they are. And just I was like, wow, this, this is a place that's so close, but it's a foreign country. Um, it is. You yeah. really, you, you and that sketch really exposed Canada. It's a lot more foreign than you think it is. And I think that even as Canadians, like we're like, ah, and then you, you see something like that. You see your own self reflected back at you and you're like, wow, it is like that, isn't it? Right. It took a kid from Pittsburgh. It took a kid from Canada. <laughs> What's going on with the Reds? Well, that, you know, you're like a, it's, I imagine that skit, you know, it's a hilarious sketch and it, it, it probably is popular all over the place. But here, I remember when that came out and it aired for the first time going into work, I was working at Much Music at the time and just everyone being like, have you seen this? And just, oh, cool. <laughs> everyone gathered around watching it, just dying, being like, Oh my God, like where, how do they have this insight? Like this has got to be Canadian people writing this, but it's a, it took an outsider to see us. Yeah, that's cool. Love it. There were Canadian people. My friend Graham Wagner was, yeah, we had, we had Canadians in the, in the house. Okay, good as well. It's nice to know that there was also a bit of a, uh, you know, an inside 
look at it as well at the time. But like, what was your exposure to Degrassi? Was it the original series that you kind of were watching on TV? It must have been. Yeah, it was like reruns of, and also you can't do that on television. Oh yeah, <laughs> you can't do that on television was on Nickelodeon, and I was definitely like of the generation that was kind of like, I, I still thought like I thought that was funny. Yeah. If you watch it now, it's rough stuff. It's rough. Like, what was I thinking? <laughs> it is so rough. Yeah. But something about it, maybe it seemed like it would be fun to be – like, the kids made it seem like it was fun to be on the show. And that was probably more important than the comedy. Have you gone back and watched it, like, and <laughs> recently? Because it's amazing how many jokes, skits, characters they just steal from Flying Circus. Like, whole – Whole bits, whole comedy really? scenes are just lifted from Monty Python. Like they've got a person going to door to door to collect organs from organ donors, and which wow. is in the meaning of life. And they've got like a there's a bunch of stuff where I'm like, oh wow, that's where they got it from. Like you know, now having seen the right. circus, it makes a lot more sense. Well, that's uh, kind of back in the day when like people just didn't care and didn't know. Like nobody would know about that, you know? Yeah. You're like, there's no way John Cleese is ever going to see this. So we can yeah. do whatever the fuck we want. Yeah. We're burning these tapes. Oh, wait. <laughs> they're around forever? Um, and this series is around, by the way, forever. It's crazy. And it's also wild how long that thing ran. Like just seemingly unchecked for years they were making the show because there's there's at least four or five different casts in the original series. Yeah. That AIDS episode. They didn't, they didn't get better than the AIDS episode. How did that Kroll sketch come about? Did you just kind of have this idea or was it like talking about it with other people that were familiar with Degrassi? Um, we were all kind of doing Canadian accents in the, uh, in the writer's room. And we were like, what if we did? Nobody's ever made fun of Degrassi and those like accents. And it was such a like indelible part of my, my youth. Like we would make fun of Degrassi and just be like, what are you talking about? And like, why do they talk like that? <laughs> like we were obsessed with it, you know? And, um, uh, yeah. And so we were just talking about it and like, what if we did this thing where, because they, they tried to get sympathy with, uh, Aubrey Drake Graham, by having him killed in this wheelchair, what if it was all kids in wheelchairs and one kid who can walk and that's the school and we just do Canadian jokes? That was kind of it. <laughs> um, yeah. Did you watch that new generation when it came out? Because I know a lot of people that like the old one that couldn't fuck with it. I only watched it to research for that sketch and just kind of watch the Aubrey thing and the aesthetic of it, which is like, I just love it. The acting is remains. It must be. Every episode is directed by the same director who's just like, no, have a flat affect when you say that. <laughs> just say, hey, are you going to be okay? Like, don't <laughs> like, don't get into the emotion of anything. Just kind of like, yeah, the scenes would be high emotion and it would be kind of like the same kind of acting as like when they were just kind of goofing around at the lockers. <laughs> <laughs> and it's also something about Canadian television where everything looks like it's lit on the surface of the sun. Like, it's just so bright. Yeah. I feel like America is borrowing that from Canadian television, though, now. Yeah, it feels like everything's moving that way. Super high-gloss production, I guess. They're shooting everything in uh, Target now. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Soundstage is a Target. <laughs> well, you know, you get that, you get that little <laughs> buy-in on that, too, from Target as well. Yeah. So. yeah. <laughs> uh, how did you get into the best show? Cause I know you're a fan of the best show as well. Like where'd you first hear about that? 
Oh, I, I heard about that. I think I weirdly, like, randomly didn't know Tom, but had, was on this random trip to LA when I lived in New York and we had, we ended up having dinner at the cafe 101 and I met him then. And he, he told me about the best show. And then I heard about like Sharpling and Worcester, uh, you know, just, um, isolated things. And at one point I just binged, listened to all their calls. <laughs> yeah. And then I didn't really get into the best show until then I moved to LA and made friends with Nick Thorburn and Nick was like, dude, you got to listen to the best show. And I was like, I've heard all the calls. And he was like, no, you got to listen to the, the full thing. It's like one of the funniest things of all time. And it's like, you know, a, a world unto itself. And I was like, oh, okay. And then I'd listen to it. And now I just listen to every fucking episode of the thing. <laughs> yeah, but it's, Love it. it's funny. You're right. There's layers to getting into it. Like the calls are always like the, the gateway. And then you, it's, you, you almost need to make that next leap to kind of just surrender yourself to the universe you have to surrender yeah you have to surrender yourself to the universe but it's ultimately like this deepest funniness yeah and yeah it's so fucking good yeah it's um, it's, a, it's also like amazing how comedy has you know very much like it seems like you know music as well with punk rock like the sort of like underground unifying kind of streak where like everyone's kind of into the same cool stuff like no, not everyone, obviously. I'm looking at once again from an outsider's perspective, but it just feels like there's certain things that just are like touchstones that people just all get. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So now you're doing music stuff. Are you are you going to do records? Is that the goal? Yeah, I'm making I'm making a record, um, and it'll come out in the fall. I've got uh, five videos kind of stacked up, waiting to put out. And yeah, I've been touring a little bit. It's, it's super fun. I, I just kind of was like, I, I've got this album. It has it's all different kinds of songs, uh, funny ones, less funny ones, very sincere ones, but every song has a sax solo. Do you feel like you're putting yourself in that sort of pantheon of great comedy records? Like, you know, you're, you're, you're kind of contributing. Like, that's the first stuff you got into were comedy albums, right? Well, yeah, definitely. I think, like, I mean, great is for other people to say. I hope it's great. But um, <laughs> I, uh, I'm going to say it's great, and I haven't even heard it, John. I'll send it to you. I can't wait. Um, I'm really stoked. Cool. Yeah, it's real dumb stuff. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I comedy music, yeah, has always been a thing. Like, yeah, there might be giants. Um, yeah, I've always been. I've always been into it. even Jimmy Buffett. Like, I got heavily into Jimmy Buffett at one point <laughs> in my life, you know, because <laughs> my dad would get like he was in a CD club or something, and like they'd send him like fifteen hundred CDs a year, and so I just like found Jimmy Buffett CDs, <laughs> probably had the whole catalog, and just got into it. I was like, this shit is funny, man. He's like his lifestyle's funny. <laughs> that must have pissed your um, brothers off so much. They must have bummed them out. No, I like. I like hid it from that. I was, I was ashamed. I was ashamed. I was like, I, I got into Jesus Christ superstar. I remember, you know what, you know, what was the unifying thing though. I was always into the red hot chili peppers. I have to say that was really, that was really it. That was the one where it was like, before it was cool to be grunge. I was definitely like, I think this is my favorite band. That was really mm -hmm. like middle school mother's milk. And then like whenever, blood sugar sex magic came out like uh but that that was already kind of like po like grunge was happening yeah well that yeah because mother's milk like you know because blood sugar sex magic kind of overshadows it but that record it's amazing how much that changed like so many people come on this podcast and talk about that band during that era being like 
the transformative band for them. Yeah, it really was. It was the one that was just kind of like their cover of, uh, or no, yeah, their cover of Higher Ground. That was like the first time I was like, oh, wow, what's this band? And then I got into Mother's Milk and it's so good. Um, and they really like, uh, yeah, and then Blood, Blood Sugar Sex Magic, I was already like, oh, I'm deeply into this band. Uh, check out Freaky Styly. Um, and, <laughs> um, I had Pep's cred. And so, yeah, that's, uh, I forget what I was talking about, but yeah, there you go. Uh, John, this has been amazing. Peppers. John, this has been amazing. I don't want to keep you all afternoon, but at some point in the future, would you come in person and do the show as a part two? Yeah, of course. Uh, definitely. Would you be on my album? I would fucking love it. I don't know how to play the saxophone, but I can learn. I just want you to to scream, <laughs> dude. <laughs> well, I can do that too. I, I okay, thought, good. Yeah. I thought you were going to teach you to play sax, but I'm down for whatever you need. <laughs> it would be funny to give you a saxophone and just see what you do. Uh, it might be tragic. I apologize to any, anything I said that was wrong. I am an idiot and <laughs> I wasn't really, I wasn't really into any, like I didn't get deeply nerdy into punk rock until, you know, like probably after college, but I like, you know, I, I dipped my toes in it. I was more into like, I was getting into like Sweeney Todd and shit. <laughs> I was like into musical theater when I was, you know, I got deeply into musical theater too. I've, I love musical theater as well. Like, you know, that's Tom yeah. is the best who record in my opinion, which is a controversial opinion. Yeah. That's interesting. Tommy, huh? I love that. Record. Um, I love it so much. Yeah. I'm more into the who's like hits, but I do, I did, go through a little bit of a who, who phase um <laughs> i saw tommy i remember seeing tommy at the benedum center in pittsburgh when i was like in in seventh grade and it blew my mind and steve isaacs was in it who was like an mtv vj turned actor singer and he was like he was tommy and he sang, I was like, this is a musical, but he's singing it with a rock grit. And it's <laughs> dangerous. <laughs> I, I, I saw Tommy in Toronto and I went with my school and we were sat behind pillars. So I really only heard Tommy. Oh my God, really? <laughs> it was awesome. Wow. The worst seat in the house. Uh, yeah, and not the one you want to hear, the musical theater. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 I think I, this has been incredible. And I, I'd love to have you on because I think you're someone that just, grew up with punk rock kind of like in your DNA and had to resist it to only ultimately come back to it. I think you're right. That's interesting. Yeah, I did. I did resist it, but also part of the resistance was that I was terrified of it, <laughs> but that's part of the indelibility of it on my brain too. I also think Hurl is super, super underrated. I went back and I listened to a bunch of the stuff before the interview and I'm like, my God, this band's got to, Got to have a reissue. It's all on streaming, too. Yeah, they're really great. Check out Hurl. They've got, like, uh, four albums. And check out Taking Pictures, Matt Daly's other band. Um, it was uh, Matt Jensik. Good stuff. Thank you, John, for coming on the show. And you heard right there, John will be back for a part two in the future. Um, because there's a lot more, uh, fun to get to. I, I got to take them through every Canadian TV show ever. 
Uh, if you out there right now are wondering, what is this Canadian TV that they're talking about and, and why is it so interesting and weird and different? Well, there's a great YouTube account, Retro Ontario, that you can follow that puts up all sorts of uh, embarrassing Canadian media clips. I guess embarrassing might be the wrong term. Um, sweet, innocent, naive. Anyway, check it out, Retro Ontario. Also, you can view all the first season of Degrassi, and I think probably more seasons on the old tube as well. So check those out, and check out Wheels Across Ontario if you are a fan of Degrassi, because who? Also, since I'm giving you recommendations of stuff to check out, check out Spike from Degrassi way back when on Turned Out of Punk. My friend Carol set that up, um, and oh my gosh, it is amazing. Uh, Spike, of course, is Amanda Steptoe. I'm using her Degrassi character name for people that aren't unfamiliar with her as a person uh, outside of the show, but she is legit one of the most down, hardcore kids, punk rockers. It is an awesome conversation. Oh. Speaking of awesome conversations, Pittsburgh Week continues on Turned Out a Punk. We're going to have a massive footnotes with Pittsburgh, noted Pittsburgh historian, punk rock Pittsburgh, noted punk rock Pittsburgh uh, professor. That's a that's good alliteration right there. Dave Martin will be on footnotes with Chris O'Toole and myself this week for a super show that'll be up in the main feed. Uh, also, uh, later on this week, we got my buddy Jamie from Code Orange coming on the show for a hot episode. This is a really awesome episode. Jamie is a, uh, a pull-no-punches kind of person, and uh, it, it's a really awesome conversation about... Uh, one of the first hardcore bands that I can think of off the top of my head that's ever been nominated for a Grammy. <laughs> and we, I've known these, these people for years, like Code Orange went on tour with Fucked Up back when they were just Code Orange kids. And, and so, yeah, it, it was great to catch up. It's a fun conversation that's coming out for you a little bit later on this week, probably in time for the weekend. Okay. Um, that's it. Uh, thank you everyone for listening. Remember to go out there and make your own culture, try and stay, uh, in touch with your sanity right now as best that you can. And I think making your own culture can help do that. Look at me, look how many podcasts I'm putting out right now. And you know, it's not just for, uh, not just for the clicks. It's also for the mental health. That's why we do this thing. Um, sign your organ donor cards. Uh, tell the people around you that you love them. Uh, stay safe, stay well. And I will see you later on this week. Thanks for listening.